My next guest is Angela and is a mother of one child on the autism spectrum. Angela, it is an honor to have you here today to share with me your family's experience because like others in your situation, you have an important story to share and I want to thank you for that. So welcome and thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You have one child on the spectrum. I have one child on the spectrum. He's six. And then I have a nine-year-old who is typical. Autism itself has multiple diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your son seems to have that. Yeah, he's very, very complex. Yeah. And I do notice like with my with meeting other autism families, their child too doesn't typically have just autism. You know, it's autism and ADHD or bipolar or gastrointestinal issues, Tourette syndrome. There is a lot that wow. autistic kids deal with. Yeah. In terms of your diagnosis, mm-hmm. this road that you went down has not been easy for you. No, absolutely not. It's, it's been a fight from the day where we started noticing that things were different with him. When was that day? Uh, he was around three years old, mm-hmm. and uh, he just started to have these intense meltdowns to where it would go on for hours, and he wow. would be hurting himself. He would either slap himself, punch himself, or he would try to shove toys down his throat to choke himself. And he was only three years old. Like cars or toys down his throat. Yeah. And I just... Like while he's screaming, he's he's grabbing something? Yeah. That must have been terrifying. Yeah, it was. Like um, I have an older son who's typical and I've never dealt with this before. Yeah, I just didn't know what to do. I actually thought that it was a parenting problem at first. That, that there was, it was something with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I contacted an agency called Triple P Parenting. And I sort of, you know, I told them our story. I told them what was happening. And, you know, they told me, no, this isn't a parenting problem. Wow. Something else. So you have to make an appointment with your family doctor. Yeah. That's amazing. At least they knew. <laughs> but I guess because I have an older son who, who wasn't doing those things. Sure. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you say, you know, the following day, you made an appointment with your family doctor. Yeah. And there was not a lot of insight there. Suggestion was next time your son begins to harm himself, you know, take take him to a children's hospital. Yeah. And I mean, that didn't really help us either. Because by the time you would get there, this meltdown would have passed. And then they get you into the hospital and they don't really have much answers for you either. They tell you to go back to your family doctor or they will make a referral for you. But there's really, there's no help at that moment. There's no strategies. Basically, they just tell you to keep him safe. But, but if he's shoving, trying to shove things down his throat... How are you supposed to know that he's not going to reach for, you know? Well, and I mean, that's sort of what it's turned into. You have to um, sort of 
our house was once, you know, it had decorations, it had, you know, cooking things like knives laying around, you know, and you're cutting mushrooms or whatever. You have the knife on the, sure. on the counter. Well, we can't do that anymore. The knives have to be put far away. We even had put rubber padding um, on his walls in his room because he would bang his head so hard. So you have to make these adjustments. You have to put the toys away. You have to take the doors off the hinges just to keep him safe and you safe. Wow. Mm -hmm. You're waiting. And how long did you wait for to... Well, it's basically like before you get an answer, you get assessments done in the meantime. So we would have, we had like our speech assessment. We had uh, sensory assessments and it all showed, you know, yes, he was struggling with sensory. Yes, he had speech delays and fine and gross motor delays. Um, But to actually get to the clinic that diagnoses you can take two years. And in that, and you didn't choose to do funding, like to do a private. Um, we didn't have, we don't have that money. I mean, these okay, cost twenty five hundred dollars or more. They still have a wait list attached to them, and there are some insurance companies that will help cover the cost, but we didn't have that either. And so, in the meantime of waiting. You know, they were labeling him with other diagnosis at the time and trying all kinds of medications. So, so, so they figured it was, they figured it was autism, but then they put a, it was called query autism. So, yeah. So that's what he had. He had query autism before we went to the big clinic, that diagnosis. So what is query autism? Uh, like suspected autism. But okay. they, can't, they don't have the credentials, you know, to make that diagnosis. There's a specialized test called the ADOS. And so only specific doctors can administer. Okay. That. Yeah. Because he is so complex, uh, he was diagnosed because my son has tics as well. Okay. So uh, tics meaning Tourette's? Yes. So he's got like facial movements and things. And so Tourette's and autism can actually look fairly similar. Okay. Um, Tourette's, you know, can have the social struggles and the OCD struggles. And because he had the tics, they diagnosed him with Tourette syndrome. Okay. Um, we didn't agree with that diagnosis. And so they said, okay, we're going to send you to another doctor to do the second opinion for us because on his ADOS, it did show that he had autism. But they suspected ADHD, which is a comorbid diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, which also can look like autism. So the second doctor, I mean, they didn't even bother to do the ADHD testing. They just kind of left left us out the door. The second doctor, thankfully, did the ADHD testing with the school, with us, and he was found not to have it. And so he was then diagnosed with autism level two. What exactly is autism level two? Um, So there's three levels. There's level one, which would be somebody who would require some assistance, but can generally 
function day to day without minimal support? Who is somebody like my son who requires substantial support in all environments in order to live his best life? And then level three might be somebody who um, really needs more support, constant, you know, with everything basic, basic needs like going to the washroom or communicating, things like that. Yeah. So they're giving you a diagnosis of OCD. They're, they are, and they're putting him on medication Mm -hmm. for these things. And how old is he? Well, when he started the meds, he was four. Yeah. And we're, and in your letter here, you have words like Prozac <laughs> down. Oh, he was on. He's been Prozac. on. Prozac. Yeah. I mean, he's been on some heavy duty medication. Uh, Prozac, uh, Abilify, Respiridone was the really big one he was on. Right. I see that there. Yeah, I mean, he's been on, I think, I want to say nine or 10 different medications and he's only six. And this was because you were feeling like this was out of control or the doctors were trying to get under control. They were trying to get him under control because his aggression is severe and his inability to control his emotions is a real big challenge. And so for Roland to live day to day, he does need some type of medication just in order to function like a proper six-year-old, like to be in a calm, happy state. You know, these, these drugs that they give has messed with his weight as well. I mean, he's gained he went from a regular, you know, sized kid, you know, maybe 30 pounds. Sure. He now weighs 70 pounds and he's only six. Wow. And so finally, I just, you know, my husband and I said enough is enough. We're done with the medications. They weren't doing anything anyways. And so we're, we're done. We're not- so the medications were not doing the job that they were supposed to be doing. That's right. Yeah. And you gave the medications long enough time to, to work. Yeah, yeah. These are big decisions that you are being faced with. Mm-hmm. Like, and it almost feels, did it feel like it was just over, what, what were you able to do for yourself or were you able to do anything for yourself? Like, how did you sort through the confusion of all of this? What did you do for your own support? What, what did your husband do? Um, there has been lots of crying. Definitely. Um, I did find support through an online group that is for, um, autism parents, which has been really great. I mean, without that support group and the people that I've met through it, I don't, I have been able to get through it as well as we have. But I mean, as for real life support, there's not a lot of it. People just don't get it and family kind of takes a step back and so at the end of the day it's just you and whoever is living in your household dealing with it you know i was talking to one guest and they said to me when your child has autism the whole family has autism yes yeah and the whole family 
needs support yes. in every aspect. Absolutely. I mean, it's affected everything and everyone. Yeah. What, what have you sacrificed in your life? I mean, I don't really think that we have much of a life <laughs> anymore. Uh, I know a long time ago, before this ever happened, we were very outgoing. We were always, you know, going out to dinner or going to families' homes, just doing regular stuff. And that's just, it doesn't happen anymore. My older typical son was in soccer at one point, but we had to stop that as well because we just couldn't take him because of Rowan's challenges. And we don't leave our house anymore. And it's not like people can come here either. Because, so, um, because Rowan doesn't, isn't really able to... Well, when people come over, if, if it's someone that he doesn't know, he can get aggressive. His home is sort of his safe spot. Mm. It's what he knows. Every day is the same. But when somebody comes in here, it sort of disrupts that. And so he is fight or flight. If family comes over, he won't necessarily get aggressive, but he'll stand off to the side of the room and he'll say, I need them to go. So he is, he is verbal? He uh, can communicate, but because of his cognitive uh, issues um, and delays, he can speak well, but that doesn't necessarily mean he, he's understanding what he is saying or understanding what you are saying to him. So developmentally, there's a lot of times it's, you know, different people are saying to me, well, you know, he's 15, but developmentally he's uh, 24 months or 36 yeah. months. And so what, is there a component of that with yeah. Rowan? So Rowan is six, but he functions at a three-year-old level. So, I mean, he's a big kid, and, but he acts very much like a toddler. And so, you, of course, when you go out and he's acting the way that he is, you get the stares and the judgments, and that, that makes it hard too, yeah. And that probably just pushes you back into your isolation and into your home. Yeah, it does. What, what does every day look like for you? Um, I mean, Rowan, we get up, and he's very rigid. You know, everything has to be his way. And he's very aggressive with his brother. And so when something kind of doesn't go his way, he gets very aggressive. So he will hit you or spit at you or verbally attack you. So our family is constantly walking on eggshells all the time. Because if you don't go and, you know, sort of mold to what he needs you to be, then you get these intense meltdowns, intense to where you're now restraining him or trying to force uh, emergency medication. You know, it's, it's a big deal, yeah. Do you have support? And has support walked you through how we do things when this happens or? No. No for what? No support? We have sort of like therapy. I guess for kids, okay. uh, they don't exactly specialize in autism or children who need to be restrained. And, you know, when we restrain him at home, it's, 
it's tough on everybody because it's not being done really the proper way. And so, you know, I'm getting hurt or my husband's getting hurt or, you know, it's just not good. And I asked, is there something where you can teach a parent how to properly restrain? Because I know I'm not the only parent that deals with it. And there is nothing out there, nothing, unless you want to pay like $900 to get this special training. If you do not have extra money, then certain things that you need for everyday living, such as training on how to restrain, how to protect yourself, what to do when the emotions are so powerful that you you can't protect yourself anymore. I mean, you know, as a parent, I know that emotions can be really powerful when you're dealing with a child. So I can only imagine what you feel like on a daily basis where you're, if, if Rowan is acting out and, and he is aggressive, that you can't be angry because they will pick up on that. Is that yeah. correct? Like you have to be neutral. So that takes a lot of self-control. A lot. And it doesn't always happen. Well, because we're human. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my <sighs> husband and I are always like coaching each other. You know, I'm saying remain calm. We always do this. Remain calm. We have these pep talks all the time, but there comes a point when you can't remain calm anymore. It just... Because it's a mo- it's it's not about um, managing, you know, this per- list of procedures. It's more about the weight, the daily weight, the physical weight, the exhaustion that is every day, every day that doesn't change. Right, and you're also, you know, when from dealing this with this for so long, you almost become traumatized to a with sense. So you wake up and your brain is automatically thinking something is going to happen. You're constantly on high alert all the time. It's never like you're, you're settled. So that's really hard too. So you do not relax. No, because any, any little noise or anything, it could sort of set you off because you know that something is going to happen. You can't even go for a simple car ride without something happening. Now, are you able to take Rowan out with you different places? Like, is he okay sensory-wise? No. Um, When I take him out, it has to be very fast. To places he prefers, say the dollar store, or whatever, uh, we're kind of at like a 25 minute, 30 minute timeline before he just can't take it anymore. And he needs to go home. If it's someplace like the doctors or therapists that he frequently goes to, or even grocery shopping, um, it is disaster from the moment we walk out of the car. He, he destroys the doctor's office. He attacks them. He will spit at strangers in the grocery lineup. So no, we, we can't take him out without a problem. The day in the life, you wake up and everything has to be structured. So from the second you get up, it is never your agenda. Never. And 
it's not like, you know, we can just say, oh, let's, let's do something as a family. That doesn't happen. We're, it's always one of us going out and, or one of us staying here. Or if we do attempt to go out as a family, it's very short-lived. And you have to remember that I also have a nine-year-old typical son. So right. he's living this life too. And he doesn't get to enjoy the average family stuff like everybody else. Um, so that's very hard to deal with too. It's really unfair for him. Does he ever talk about him needing things? He, he often, I mean, he often says, you know, why is, why does Rowan, you know, get all this attention or why, why is, why is everything so different for him? Because in his eyes, Rowan is getting away with a lot more than he ever, ever would. Right. Right. So we try to explain to him, you know, what autism is and it's just hard for a nine-year-old brain to understand. And he always says, this is never going to get better. It's never going to get better because I've always told him, just wait, we're good. You know, this new medication is going to work or these people are going to come here and help, but it, it's never happened. Wow. And so, yeah, it's really hard for him. And I did put him into a, a therapy, try to get some help, just sure. deal with everything. But, uh, yeah, it's hard. And a lot of Rowan's aggression is towards Julian, my older son. So. Okay. And that must be really hard for Julian because how do you protect yourself? He doesn't want to hurt him. But then again, you know, it's, it's, it's that moment. It's a very fine line because when you're feeling pressured and your boundaries are being crossed, that's when your defenses are down and your logic reduces and you can move into your anger and your resentment quite quickly if you are, if you don't have the skill, if you don't have the wherewithal, I can't imagine being nine and being the trigger. Like, is, is he the trigger in the family? Absolutely. And, you know, he tries not to be. He's turned into sort of a caregiver. He's always trying to help me and his dad deal with Rowan. Um, he just tries to mold whatever Rowan wants, but that doesn't always work. And so every day, you know, he's either being spit at or hit or have toys thrown at him. It's just very hard. So my husband and I will, will make plans for him to go sleep somewhere else or to have a family member come pick him up or right. take him on vacation uh, just to get him out of the house because he needs a break. Like you said, you can't go on family vacations together. So really, if Julian is going to go somewhere, he isn't really, he's either going to go with one of you as the parent or he's going to go with another family. Well, we can go. Rowan does do well in a camping environment. Interesting. He loves to be, yes, he loves to be outside. That is like his deal. Okay. No people. (laughs) With no people. (laughs) That's right. So we usually, because we have a trailer, so we take it to a bush. (laughs) We can't go to a regular campground. There's absolutely no way. So we go take it to the bush, and he does quite well out there. But I mean, as for family outings to 
I guess where people are, yeah, it just doesn't happen. But Julian needs the breaks because every day is walking on eggshells. And And how do you feel about that? It makes me really upset. Um, It just, it's... Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I wish that... I wish that we could all go and do these things together, but Rowan just can't handle it. Yeah. I think that's the message here. It is about functioning in a family that you're, you are yielding to somebody all the time. There's no independence. When, the, when someone has autism, the whole family has autism and the whole family needs to be treated. Your son, who is nine, like, how do you process how he is being affected? I know that there will be a day when Julian is old enough and he is going to be damaged by what has taken place when he was younger. I know that there will be a day when he will look at his dad and I and say, I, I'm mad at you for not getting enough attention or all of these things. It is going to happen. And I think that's what hurts the most is because as parents, we always want our kids to have a good childhood and right. be happy and not have to recover from it. Right. But I, I don't, I don't, I think, I don't think that's going to happen for Julian. I think that he is going to have some scars from everything that's going on. I hope that there is provision and support for that when he, when you feel like that is where he is moving down the line, that there is support for all of you. Yeah. What do you want us to know? I guess, you know, when I read online, you know, when there's a story about autism. Yeah. And if you've ever gone and read the comments there, they're so awful. You know, it's people saying, well, you know, I don't even know why they bothered having kids if they have autism or these autistic kids shouldn't be in the schools. I don't know why they need funding or supports. It's not my problem. Wow. And it's so hurtful because you don't set out to have an autistic child. It just happens. And it's sort of like, if anything happened in your life, you don't really have control over it. Right. And these kids are people too. They need to be included and there needs to be adequate supports because, you know, one in 66 children are being diagnosed with autism. That means one in 66 families are basically living in a state of crisis every day. And I don't think people take into account that these one in 66 children will one day be adults. 
So without supports now and early on, what is going to happen then? Right. Yeah. What is going to happen then? I don't know. You make an incredible point because, you know, that is true. These, these kids become adults Mm -hmm. and, and then where, where are they going? Because, because your story, like the story of many other families with children that have autism is the story of, we've never followed the developmental stages that typical children follow. They start to sleep through the night. They go to kindergarten. They go to, you know, they go to grade eight. They don't need me anymore. They start to do this and that. And and then they they eventually leave home. You're not, that is not going to be your story. No. I mean, it's not. I mean, the regular family, like you had mentioned, you know, kindergarten, school, they can put their kid to school and, you know, they don't have, they don't have any really worries. They know their kid is in school. They're doing their schoolwork. They're making friends. They're thriving. But for us, even putting him in school is traumatic. Right. It's not enough supports in school. Um, He's in kindergarten right now? uh, He was doing kindergarten and we had to end up pulling him uh, three weeks early just due to him not being able to handle the requirements of school. So, I mean, even going into grade one, he's not going back to that same school. Okay. A specialized program, which is what happens with lots of autistic kids. Or there's constantly families battling with the schools just to get the supports. So it's really tough. And the schools will call you and tell you to pick up your child. Or they can't come on a field trip because they don't have the aid there that day. It's a lot, a lot of problems. You're basically at the mercy of the school. For us, like you have a child who has autism and they, it all comes down to funding. So okay. they will either tell you right away, oh, we don't have the funding for that. Um, so your child's going to go without an aid. And basically you just wait for those behaviors to start happening and for the school to start calling you for the school to realize that, yes, in fact, this child does need supports. Mm. I mean, that's really tough. Yeah. And it's, a, it's every child's right to have an education. But Absolutely. For a special needs parent and for a special needs child, that's not happening. Many families I've spoken with have said that they're in a constant state of crisis. Yeah. Would you say that about your family? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are days where you just cry and you have, there's nothing that you can do. Your child is hurting themselves or destroying your home and you feel trapped in your home because you can't leave. What have you done to proof your home? It seems like your situation, and like I said earlier, you know, it is a spectrum. So people yeah. have crisis in, within, you know, the level that their child is in, you know, like you talked about earlier, level one, level two, level three. Um, so, you know, usually homes are 
uh, you know, they, I've, somebody said, you know, your home should rise up and greet you. And it's like, <laughs> and I, it does your home feel that way to you? <laughs> no, I was, you know, I was telling my friend this, I said, home is supposed to be like your sanctuary, you know, right. you work all day or you're doing busy things all day to come home. It's supposed to be like, you can breathe. Right. It is not, it is a prison. I feel like, because wow. it's not calm. I mean, it's just not every, every, you don't have like, in our home, there's no decorations, you know, there's no fancy, I don't know, I used to have candles out and, you know, glass items out, just things like that. And yeah. now that's all gone. There's barely pictures on the wall at this point, because they, when he throws stuff, they get damaged or... What is his room like for him? So his room, I mean, used to have toys. You know, you'd have a toy box and things. Now that's put away into a closet. So it's not easily accessible. Okay. So when he's having a moment, it's not like he can just pick something up and hurt himself or you. Um, we put rubber padding up on the walls in his room. And it's basically just yoga mats. And we used nails to nail it in the wall. Yoga mats on the wall yeah. around the perimeter of the bedroom. Yeah. So, so like, uh, what? Three, two feet or how yeah. high are you going? About two feet up and then the length of the yoga mat, like around the room. What, for what purpose? Uh, because he would bang his head or he would kick the walls or throw toys at the walls. So it's, you know, to prevent destruction, but to also keep him safe as well. And we have bean bags in there, a lot of like sensory items, like a swing or a spin disc, that sort of thing. In our case, it would, when he's melting down, the great idea would be to put him in there and to be able to close the door so that he can calm down on his own and we don't have to use restraint. But for him, that doesn't work because once you close the door, he'll hurt himself. Okay. You have to keep it open. And it, even doing that, it can make things worse just by him seeing you when he's in that state. So do you, are you afraid sometimes? Sometimes. There's been times where he's picked up a knife. Um, there's been time, a time where he tried to, you know, stab his brother with a pencil. So yeah, I've been afraid before. I think I'm more afraid when I go into public though. And what are you afraid of there? That he will hurt other people. He, he's not being malicious. He, when he is in that state, he literally has no control. He's not thinking. There's no pause button. He's communicating in that way. He can't control it. And so when we go into public, he is, he's acting from fear and anxiety from these strange people and the change in his day. He's not acting, acting that way just because he wants to hurt somebody. Right. Very much lives in a high stress fight or flight. So he will fight first and then he will run away. 
So you said that he lives in a high stress in just within himself. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, he's only six. I was just going to say, so, wow. Yeah, it's, it's hard on us, but I think it's even harder to be in his brain, to be so fearful, it seems, of, of everything that's not in his home. If that makes and sense. your and your idea would be to scoop him in and to nurture him, mm-hmm. but that that yeah. doesn't happen. No, because it only angers him more. And, and so, how does it feel as a as a mother, as someone that would would you know for the first three years of his life, you were bringing him in, you were nurturing him, you were doing. How does it feel? What is it? What happens to you? In the beginning, it was really hard. Really, because I didn't, like, I didn't know what was happening. And it was all very new to me. So in the beginning, you know, I was constantly crying and, and saying, what's going on? And, you know, what, what is happening? Now, I've been dealing with it for so long that I'm used to it. Would you say that, you are, you have less emotion about it? Definitely. Why? I just, I think I become desensitized to, to what happens. So for example, before, you know, when we would take him to a doctor's visit and he would, you know, start trashing the room, I would be, you know, super like, like shocked, like in, and embarrassed. And, right. And, and cry. And I would get mad at him. Now, when he does that, I, I've learned to, you know, remain calm and not make excuses or apologies. I'm not going to apologize for him anymore. Wow. Because he's not being bad. He's acting this way because he's scared. And so I just remain calm and I just, I wait for it to be over. So I, I, there's less emotion definitely because I've, I've learned over the years. At the rate that things are going right now, we are definitely scared for what's going to happen when he's bigger. Because right now I can contain him. I can grab him. But even a year or two away, I won't be able to. And I don't know what will happen. So you haven't thought about what that future holds for you? I only know what it holds for other parents that I've met with who, who have to call the police on their own child, who have to call the mobile crisis unit, who have their child put into psychiatric units. And it's, or group homes even. And right. I, at the, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough thought. Well, it's a lot to process. Yeah. I hope that it doesn't get that way. Right. But I know that it's a possibility. What is the one thing you want us to know about you? About me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that I'm just like any other parent. Hmm. And you do the best with what you're given. And I just, I wish that people were more accepting 
and more able to open their minds and less, less judging, you know. Do you have a lot of friends? Um, not in real life anymore. No. Not in real life. So like you have social media friends? Yes. And it's kind of a common feature between all of us autism moms because... Oh, this is important to talk about. I, I have never heard of this. <laughs> this is actually incredible to me. Mm-hmm. So you said this very powerful what you said, that you have friends, real, but not real life friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because your real life friends, they don't get it. They just don't get it. They can't, they don't understand. So, and that's like I said, it's common in with autism moms. We can't really go out. So we create friends on our online support group. And that is how we connect with people who are experiencing the same thing. And I mean, even our families, our elder grandparents or aunts and uncles, um, a lot of them pull away as well. A lot of them do. So even for us, we don't go to families' houses very much. We also aren't invited to families' houses anymore. So you have siblings yourself? Yes. Yep. And we aren't invited or they will say, can I just take Julian? And it's really tough because you notice that as soon as things start getting more difficult or they see that your son is starting to have these more meltdowns at their home, I definitely seen a change. You know, we went from being invited to nothing. But this goes back to this person that I talked to the other day that was so, that just put it into a different perspective for me by saying, when your child is diagnosed with autism, the whole family has autism. And it's not just the immediate family. It is the, the extended family because what you're saying is, you know, some people are super happy to not talk to their families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they're like, oh yeah, well, catch you at Christmas, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there's other people that, you know, really enjoy the support. I know for me, both both of my my husband's mom and, and my mom were major support systems for me mm-hmm. when my kids were were younger. And you do you and many of your friends are not experiencing this. And so it is such a polarization already to what you, you are already feeling. Mm -hmm. People who have typical children who are, are actually like myself, who just have been going through life, dealing with what they're dealing with, you know, rolling with the punches. And sometimes you think, Oh, you know, I'm really stressed about this or, you know, I'm really stressed about that. And then I read your email and I'm like, no, that what I was worried about doesn't matter anymore because 
that is a crisis. That is something that is really breaking somebody. Mm -hmm. What do you want? What do you want us to know? How can Uh, we help? I, I wish that people would just, I wish that they would, you know, when you're taking your child out in public, that instead of, you know, staring at the mom whose child is freaking out on the floor, that maybe just maybe there's something more going on than bad parenting. Uh, you know, because that's what you thought originally you, you and your husband, Matt thought we are terrible parents. And even though, you know, maybe you don't have autism in your family, that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't affect you. Right. Because it will. Your children are going to school with our children. And I see, I mean, my child was in kindergarten all year and all year I had to watch the other parents hand out birthday invites and my child didn't get one. And I think it comes down to inclusion. And, and that's a big part for me because even though maybe these kids are different, they're not being included in anything. Like you should see in our online group, it's like if somebody does get a birthday invite, it's this huge deal. Because it's so rare? Yes. Because our kids are constantly left out. And that's tough, I think especially for me. Well, it's a fundamental, it's just part of being human Mm -hmm. to feel like you are seen. Yeah. To be heard, to be noticed. It's just a part of an emotion that we were made with. And it's there. They're observant, highly observant. And just because they have autism, it doesn't mean they don't want connection. They absolutely do want to be included and and have friends. And that just doesn't happen for them a lot of the times. And I think that, you know, a lot of autism families too, they struggle to work outside of the house. Like they don't have an everyday life that I think a lot of average Canadians you know, they take for granted a lot. Hmm. Do you work out of the home? No, I, there's no way that I can. My so husband you're... even had to take a month and a half off work just to help out at home. And, you know, there's nothing like, I mean, for financial support in that regard, there's nothing really for a special needs family in the event that maybe only one parent can work, which is quite common. How can people not directly affected by autism help with what you've just said? I think that they can just support autism parents instead right. of, you know, just support them by, by saying, I, I get it, or I hear you, or when there's something about autism on the news or they hear about it, right. to, to take a step back and say, maybe it isn't my family, but it could be mine. Maybe my grandchild might have it. This is why I should sign that petition or I should make that phone call to Mm. uh, my MLA. Just it's little things like that that can help. Wow. The question I ask myself and I've asked other people is, what are we not 
seeing. You've said some things like, don't judge us. And, and, and please know it's not me as a woman that's failing here. Please know that I'm, that there's a deeper story. There's a context. If you're looking at an iceberg, you are only seeing the top. You are not understanding what is underneath here. Mm -hmm. And what I'm asking when I ask this particular question is what lies underneath the iceberg? What are we not seeing? I think that there's, you're not seeing what the rawness of autism. Wow. So, you know, when you read about autism, it doesn't really get into the hard things like the aggression or self-injurious behaviors or mm. inability to leave the home or to even dress yourself or go to the bathroom things like that. It doesn't really get into that. So when people hear about autism, they think about somebody who's just not interested in friends or they don't make eye contact, things like that. So it doesn't, I don't think people really understand the severity that it is. And because it's not a visible disability, people just don't take it as seriously. Therefore, they don't support it as much as they should. So there's a rawness that you are living every day, you, Matt, and Julian, and Rowan. Rowan is living his own rawness, his own feelings that we will never understand. And it's not often talked about, ever. So people just don't get it. I mean, on my own Facebook, I've taken it into myself to start sharing the, the raw parts of autism. So for example, um, we went to the doctor the other day and he trashed the room and um, I snapped a picture of it and I shared it on my Facebook because I wanted people to see what we deal with and to understand why this happens. So maybe if you were sitting in that waiting room and you heard my child screaming and trashing the room, now that you see my explanation, you can think next time that's not just a child that's out of control, it's a child struggling. Wow. That is really powerful. It is not a child out of control. It is a child struggling. Yeah. Why do you use the word struggling? Because he is. He's struggling to function in a world that was not made for him. He is struggling to be around people that he's afraid of. And, and, And he is actually afraid of people. Yes, I think so. But that's the message that's come. That's what he's yeah. communicating. Yeah, it's fight or flight, and because he can't, he can't communicate his words properly. So he uses his body and whatever is around him. He is scared of male doctors. Okay. And so when a male, especially a male doctor, is in the room, he just 
he gets scared. I mean, he's been going in and out of doctor's offices since he was very young. Bring me into this rawness component because I, I think this is it. You know, what are we not seeing? This is it. And what we are missing is what you said. That the true reality of it. You know, at the beginning, I was, I was scared and embarrassed to mm. share on Facebook about things about my son. You know, I kind of thought, mm, I should just not say anything. But Why? Why? I guess I just, I didn't want judgment, I think, or to open, open us up to, yeah, I guess judgment. But I've come to a place over the years where I don't care what, you know, so-and-so thinks. And I've come to realize that mm-hmm. in order for my son to have a better future or the kids that are coming after him, you have to share the not-so-nice things sometimes in order to educate people and make them aware and create acceptance and understand acceptance. Mm-hmm. How will we create acceptance? What, what, what can we do? What can I do to create acceptance for your son, Rowan? I think it starts with your own kids, you know, talking to them about autism because it would be your children that are going to school with mine and you know, right. acceptance starts in school. And, wow. and teaching them about differences and why this happens or why they're doing that and why it's important to say hello to them. or to Even if they them. don't respond to you. Even if they don't, because if they're listening, even if they're not speaking or not looking at you, you don't need to speak or talk in order to be listening. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I don't know. I'm just a a little overwhelmed. That was really, really powerful for me. We don't need to have someone to talk to us. We don't need someone to respond in order for them to be listening. And I would, I would imagine if Rowan could convey that message to all of us, that's what he would be saying. Absolutely. Yeah. He wants to be included and loved just like everybody else. Rowan has a level of verbal communication. Yes. Has he ever said like what it feels like to be in his body or in his mind? He um, can't really, he can't articulate uh, really with feelings yet. Okay. Okay. You can't uh, pinpoint, you know, why am I doing this or why am I doing that? Uh, right, because his developmental age is, is th- three. Right. But he has asked and said, what's wrong with me? Because he is very observant. So for him, you know, he can walk into a classroom and he can already see his differences compared to his classmates and, or even his brother. Okay. So he, he, know, he feels something is wrong with him, and he's asked 
what is wrong with me. And I always just tell him, I said, nothing is wrong with you. You have autism. And I said, you're special. Hmm. So, but I know because he is, is so observant, he, he knows that something is different. We can read it almost. He's yeah. reading. Would you say Rowan is reading the, th- he's reading our thoughts. He's reading what we are thinking and we aren't saying it. Yeah. He, I wrote this story and it, it talks about that, about how observant he is. He, he knows right away, like what you're feeling or the, like what you might be thinking about him. He can feel that energy. He's so observant. So even if you think he's not listening or you think he's not paying attention, he is. He is. He and he knows if you're going to see him or not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you're going to see who he is and that he is a human with a spirit, with a mind, body, and soul that is meant to be honored, meant to be respected, and included. He can tell. Uh, I will give you an example. Okay. We had, we were, we are getting respite services. And so I had this agency come into my home, sort of like an interview. And uh, the lady that came into my home was extremely standoffish to him. She didn't want to talk to him. She didn't really acknowledge him when he was in the room. Uh, She basically just read on her paper that he was aggressive. And so she acted that way when she came to my home. Like scared. Right. Or yeah, that she just didn't want to interact with him. And he was, he got aggressive with her, you know, throwing a pillow or spitting or name calling, whatever. So she was only in my home for about 10 minutes and I ended up restraining him and she left. We interview just uh, a few days ago, a new respite agency, because this lady said, well, I'm not even working with you guys. So we interviewed this new respite agency and their attitude was so different. They were amazing. They, she told me they wanted to see him as a child first before his label. So they were, you could just feel relaxed around them Right. And he did not get aggressive with them. It was actually the first time in a long time where he mm. wasn't full out trying to attack them. They were speaking to him, trying to warm, warm him up. They treated him like a person first. And right. it made a world of difference in how he interacted with them. And he knows, he can observe that. He sees it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can, he can feel it too. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, so to, to, it, it really does follow that point of saying, you know, the rawness, the, the, the flip side of the aggression is, is the simple concept of you, what you put out comes actually back to you. Yeah the law of sowing and reaping or, you know, like, it's like the law of attraction. If you are, if you are seeing, if you are being your best, I think that is it. If you are being better as a, uh, a, 
individual, as a person in society, and you are talking to Rowan, he is going to interact with you because he's going to feel that vibration. He's going to feel that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that maybe people who are not uh, dealing with autism on a daily level, on a daily basis, maybe that's a really important point. Yeah. And to not be scared. Because I think a lot of times people get scared by the labels. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You read something or you're, you're told a label and immediately they, 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 they shut down. They stop interacting. You mm. know what I mean? And I think that's really important. Mm. How has Even this... school? Yeah. You know, with the birthday invites. Right. Because Rowan was not aggressive in school with the other kids. Oh. And I think why he didn't get invites was because the parents seen that he had a full-time aide with him. They, they seen that he had some differences. And I think that scared them from inviting him into their home. So the message that I hear from you is you have come to peace with what you are dealing with on a daily basis. You are at peace with your son and that needs to be good enough for the family that goes to your school. That needs to be good enough for them that they need to trust you. Mm-hmm. that you will remove or support at whatever level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has his challenges, but I, if, he would have, if he would be invited somewhere, I would absolutely encourage it because that's what he needs. He needs more uh, social outings in order to try and build that. Mm. And without it, he's never going to, to build that skill. And it, it, it takes a community. It takes everyone in society contributing to the well-being of your son, to the well-being of Matt, Julian, and you. Yeah, I mean, and it's, a, it's, it's taken a village. Like, we had Julian, and it was very much just us three, but with my yeah. son, it's us four plus this team of people and then all of the like autism, you know, community behind you as well. If Julian were talking to the viewer or the listener, what would he, what would he say? What does Julian need? I think he would say that he wishes there was more help for our family or he wishes that he had more time with his mom and dad. And I think he would wish that his, his brother could have some help to where they could play together and be able to sit together for an extended period of time and just be brothers and not be brothers plus more because that's what it is and you're not you can't get away from that 
No, you can't. And there isn't really, there hasn't been a lot of help for us, even up to this point. I mean, not yet. So. And not yet. And you're counting on August 1st. I am counting on these specialized services. I've never experienced them before. So I- Can you tell me what they are? What are the specialized services that you are so, you are just, so can barely child. manage your waiting. So you're like, oh, you've never wanted time to fly by so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been calling. I, I, even last week, I was in tears calling uh, my SS team saying, please, I, I need help. We need respite. We need something. But there just isn't enough funding for FSCD. To, to have help in time, if that makes sense. So No, it doesn't make sense to me. What does that mean? Like you're, you're on a waiting list because there aren't enough people to help you because there isn't enough funding to supply those people. So you're placed on a waiting list, which is what will happen to us. And I know some families wait longer than three months or some shorter. But yeah, so they are starting August 1st, and it would consist of an occupational therapist, um, a speech and language pathologist, a behavioral consultant, um, maybe a psychologist if they decide to bring that in. But I mean, really, they come to your home, they will do some direct therapy a few times a week, maybe one time a week. But at the end of the day, it's still just you and it it takes a lot of work this isn't these type of behaviors like with aggression or whatever yeah they don't get fixed overnight i mean the, my number one choice you had to list what do you want worked on first and my number one choice was sibling interaction for julian sibling interaction yeah and she said, okay, that's going to take about five months to hopefully get it under control. And the goal for sibling interaction is what you said earlier. You know, you want them to be able to be together and, and there's these elements, but what will he be, you know, giving Julian some strategies to connect I really don't know that part. I think the biggest thing for for Rowan would be at Rowan first would be because um, they won't work with the sibling, only with the child with the disability. But yeah, <laughs> but but they're in the same home. Yeah, they won't work with the child. They won't work with the sibling. They won't. You have. So to have- how are you supposed to then? <laughs> You, you've, you've said the biggest thing I want on my list is sibling. Uh, so they would work with Rowan on how to interact with Julian without um, being aggressive with his words or with his body or, or with toys. But they're not really going to, to coach Julian on how to interact with Rowan. They won't. But that just seems like yeah. It's these things are hand in hand. I I I would love someone to explain that to me because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me. There's just you can have a string of really bad days. It's yes. Just bad day after bad day and you know 
like it's never going to stop. It's never going to get better. Yeah. And sometimes you do feel like you just want to run away because you just don't know what to do. Like hearing that bothers me deeply. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and the, the question I, I have to ask myself, I'm, I'm that kind of a person where I go, the fact that you're saying, look, I, I would like to run away or your husband would say, look, how long is this going to go for? It makes me feel like I want to run away. Yeah. You know, the, we, we need to know that this is how people are feeling because that's how movements happen. That's how we make the difference. Mm-hmm. And that is really essential. On Facebook, there's only so many times you can share the same autism information. But until until you start putting real voices and real faces and you start sharing, you know, the not so nice side of things, then nothing is going to happen. And And that's what I'm looking for. You know, I, this is, I, I likened it to, to this. You know, you remember back where you would go to a party and, and it's a room full of people and everybody's loud and, you know, your throat's sore because you're talking over the noise and the music and the surroundings. And then you notice two people on the side mm-hmm. and they start to whisper. And your immediate response is, what are they whispering about? Yeah. yeah. What, what are they saying? Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's something that I think is really powerful here. I believe that the tone that we are setting is a whisper. It's saying, we're not fighting. That's, I, I'm, I'm not interested in fighting. I, uh, in my, my personality is definitely fight first, then, then flight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in this situation, I, I really think what will hold more power is when people get together and they have a collective whisper that talks about the rawness that you suggested here, the, the rawness of your life you in your home you're not you're not somewhere else there's background noise there's things that are going on that 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 we're not you know going to try to get rid of you know as we're editing this and it's because this has to be the story this is the missing piece we're missing emotion mm-hmm. yes and one mother summed it up to me and she said, I don't even need you to say sorry. I don't even want your emotion. What you can give me is your signature or your action. Mm-hmm. Because every ounce of emotion that I use in my day is to protect myself, to protect my mind, to function on a daily basis, and to help my kid and make sure that he is safe. Mm-hmm. I, all of my emotion goes in there. So don't give me yours. I don't need it. I don't, and I don't need you to feel sorry for me because I'm tired of that. All of my energy is for managing the crisis that I am living in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of expressions are so powerful. You know, Angela, what you have said here is unbelievable to me. You've said some amazingly powerful things. 
you know, you're very candid, you're very to the point. And I really, I really appreciate that. It's just, Thank it's you. just, it's just amazing. I, and this is, um, did you say you wrote a, um, a story? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, have you ever heard of the mighty? Yes. Okay. So I wrote a story, you know, I had gotten into this, this kind of slump. I was very feeling very negative about Rowan's autism. I, we had really hard days. We just had really hard days. And so I thought some way to get out of it, I have to find something positive in the autism. And I was scrolling through one of his uh, kindergarten books that he got um, from the year, you know, they take pictures of him doing things. And there he was standing with about 50 red solo cups and he had stacked them like so amazing. Like you wouldn't really see a typical child do something like that. And I was kind of blown away. And so after being really negative about the autism for a while, I thought I'm going to look for the positive. I'm going to look at Rowan and see the positive parts of autism that has brought to his life or to Mm -hmm. ours. Okay. So I wrote a short story about it and it was highlighting some of the positive features. And then at the end, it was just basically saying, you know, on your bad days, you have to look for the beauty. Always look for the beauty. And then I sent it into the Mighty and they published it. And so that was cool. I was really excited about that. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what? Um, and then they posted it and like lots of comments, lots of likes. Um, people really enjoyed the story and the positivity of it. And that helped me to get me. How, how do I get this story? You would just have to go on themighty.com and then you would look up the title, There is Beauty in My Son's Autism. Do you write for creativity or? Yes, I've definitely started to. And it's not just like I write about, you know, his autism or I write about their sibling interaction and how it affects things. But I also post on Facebook because I've come to the point where like I said, I feel it's really important that people see positive, but they also see kind of the rawness of mm. what our life can be. And so I feel more power in posting about the really hard times in our life so that yes. people can come to understand. So I've started doing that, and that is sort of an outlet for me. Wow. Well, I'm going to go to themighty.com. <laughs> and I hope other people do the same because I think that is something that is uh, thrilling. And I am, how cool, how cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like, this has been a pleasure um, having this conversation with you. You've just given me some things that, you know, I, I'm taken away here. Thank you very much, Angela. And I'd like to have you back on at some point. Absolutely. I'll try to get my husband on. <laughs> I'd love to talk to him and no hiding in the backyard. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's not so doing much. that. He's busy. <laughs> I'm just giving him the gears. Yeah. It's all right. 
but I would like to talk to Matt. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. It's time is so valuable to you, and you've given me some of that. And uh, I, I'm appreciative. So thank you for sharing your life and your vulnerability. Thank you for being raw. Absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate it. Have an incredible day. You too. All Bye. right. Bye.